You are listening to the People-Centric Podcast, where we talk through the toughest challenges that people face at work and give practical advice to fixing those challenges. Thanks for joining our movement to create workplaces that are happier, healthier, aligned, and empowered by putting people at the center of all that we do. Hey, people-centric leaders. Every once in a while, our team likes to look at articles online. We read stuff. We're always trying to stay up on the industry, right? So we live this every day. So we're not like some people say like, you guys must love all the leadership books and all those kinds of things. You know, we spend a lot of time in it. Like most of the stuff that we share with you is stuff that we get from the clients directly. Like their experiences that we have with existing clients, with teams that we work with and things like that. But we do occasionally look on the outside and we do look at a good leadership book now and then or a good article. And Diana found one recently on from Entrepreneur Magazine, and it was entitled Seven Outdated Habits That Are Suffocating Modern Businesses. Diana, where did you, what were you doing looking for those? I noticed you, you've been posting more articles. Are you in a, are you in a rhythm where you're looking for our outside articles right now? I'm just curious. I'm not. I think my Google newsfeed knows what I do for a living and it sends me these things. These just pop up in my Google feed. Well, I, for one, welcome our Google overlords and the controls that they have <laughs> on our lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's yeah. weird because on Instagram, I just keep getting videos of how millennials hate their jobs and to revolt. So I don't know what that's about. I'm not, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not in that category. We're just getting different content. It's weird. So. <laughs> Seems like Google's pretty good at their search engine there, Bethany. Maybe we should Instagram. have some conversations a little bit here. They are right. funny videos, so. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I just get dog videos. What part of the internet do you guys live on? But yeah, that's a good question. That could be a whole nother episode of this, right? So Diana shared this set article with us and what we thought it was, it, it kind of caused some conversation on our team because some of the things that they talk about in terms of outdated habits, many of them we really agree with. I think probably at the end of the day, we probably agree with all seven, but the wording that they used on some of these things, we were like, oh boy, there's some nuances to that, that we thought it would be good for us to discuss. So we thought we would walk through this article a little bit from entrepreneur.com. I said entrepreneur.com magazine is what I almost said. It's not a magazine, they're online. And we were going to go over these seven outdated habits that are suffocating modern business. So you've already heard from Diana, who submitted the article and is trapped on is watching us from Google. You already heard of our our disrupted millennial, Bethany Taff, who's might might not be unhappy I'm fine. with the job. Everybody. You're, you're okay. <laughs> I'm fine. You're not disgruntled because <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. Okay. I'm, all right. As a millennial, I just want to, first of all, thank you for showing up today and coming into work. I appreciate it. I've been working the whole day. So. Good job. You must be exhausted. Thank you so much for all of that. We have Stephanie Anderson, who's just completed her photo shoot, right? For People Centric. So you can go check that out on our website at some time. <laughs> at some point soon. Yes. There will be an updated photo montage of me and, uh, yeah, that'll be that'll be a thing for you to look at. <laughs> that'll be fun. Appreciate be that for everybody. That'll be a thing. I love that. And then of course our host Matt Griswold, who Matt, you know, I've got these seven hat seven outdated habits out in front of me here. I think you wrote those down too, but he's going to be leading us and walking us through this conversation of these seven outdated habits. So take it away, Mr. Griswold. 
All right. Welcome, everybody. Good to see you again. I say see you because if you don't know, it's still kind of a new, new, I was going to say new technology. People listening are like, nope, YouTube's been around for 20 years now. Um, no, it, uh, it's kind of a newer technology for us of being able to put these podcasts online on our YouTube channel. So if you're listening to the podcast and you're like, geez, I wonder what they look like, go to YouTube. You can totally see us interacting here and watching the podcasts uh, like that as well. So this topic, we're going to be efficient today, right? We're going to be efficient talking about these seven outdated habits. And some some of these, I, I think... Um, if you're listening, you might say, well, this was, you know, very scripted. It's very, it's very not scripted. We briefly touched on these things, but the conversation is about to abound uh, from these. And we're going to share uh, our thoughts. I have heard recently as well. Uh, and some of you may have heard this on my team uh, as well, that, you know, one of the reasons why people enjoy our podcast is yes, we're on the same team, but we all have kind of differing approaches or maybe opinions on some of the things that we're throwing, that we're throwing out there. So even though it's called seven outdated habits, uh, you said suffocating modern business, uh, Don, uh, from entrepreneur.com. Uh, you know, some of these things we might say, well, this part might be suffocating, but this maybe I still agree with or the spin that you'd like to put on it. I thought maybe what I would do is walk through the seven and then throw it to the team to see which one you want to start with. Uh, we don't have to go in order one through seven, right? They're not in order of importance. I know I'm blowing people's minds right now. <laughs> <laughs> not going in the order of the one to seven, but I'm going to walk through them and then I want your feedback and you tell me where you'd like to start. Okay. Habit number one, hiring obsession with culture fit, right? Hiring obsession with culture fit. Um, and we'll, we can talk about that Two, measuring and uh, let's see, measure. What is, what is number two? I can't read, can't read my own writing. I didn't write it. <laughs> measuring <laughs> in office presence. In Measuring office in pre office presence. Yeah, physically present. This is one of those that's that's kind of near and dear to the folks that we're working with now. Like, how do I how do I get my people back in? And there's a resistance there um, in, in some uh, parts of the country here in some industries too. annual performance evaluation chore is number three, the annual performance evaluation chore. Typically, when I'm talking about annual performance evaluations, I like to put it up on a flip chart and say, let's play word association. I say annual performance review. You say what? And a lot of times it's negative. The words they come up with are negative connotations to the annual performance evaluations. Hierarchy of leadership is number four, hierarchy of leadership. And this is where some people are like, what's wrong with hierarchy? We can't break down the hierarchy. And we have other organizations too that we work with that they pride themselves on being flat. We're very flat. There's no bosses of anybody here. There's no, there's no, there's no hierarchy or chain of command here. It's very flat. Everybody is loved equally. And you know, sometimes that's chaotic. And we could talk about that too. Outdated principle of consensus and input culture. Did I write that down? Did I write that down correctly? Number five. It's consensus and input-based culture. Yes. That's an outdated principle. Mm -hmm. of consensus and input-based culture. And then formal dress codes, six. Diana agreed with that. She immediately said, yes, please. Uh, what you need to know about Diana is she wears nothing but black all the time. Just black. There's nothing wrong with that. I have a uniform. It worked for Steve Jobs. It can mm -hmm. work for me. So when we get to that one, Diana doesn't get to uh, input. Diana doesn't get to participate in that one. Um, number seven, over-optimizing uh, to withstand change and risk. Now, it said optimizing, but then we talked about it internally. It's really over-optimizing, over-optimizing uh, to withstand change and risk. So team, where would you like to go? Well, I would, let's start with an easy one because I, well, let's start with a hard one first. I would suggest we start with the consensus and input-based culture because when you're talking about outdated ideas, I'm sure some of you went like, wait, it's an outdated idea to have a consensus and input-based culture, question mark. 
So let's define maybe what that means, right? What, what does that mean? What are they trying to say there with a consensus-based and in, in, input-based culture there? What, what are they meaning? How do, how do we define that a little bit further before we really start to debate it? So when I heard this one, I thought about like those companies that are like, listen, we want your input. We want to know how you feel. We're going to do what you want to do. Tell us, tell us everything. We'll vote on it. There's, it's a democracy. It's going to be great, right? And that sounds lovely in theory, but I think in practice, it's a nightmare. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know? I was thinking about, so when I heard this one and we heard it as like something that's killing businesses, I think we're like, cause we tend to be more, Hey, bring people in to the conversation and ask lots of questions and get your employees involved. So I think there's like that, but I think where I've seen it fail is like on teams where decisions have to be made and they are paralyzed by all of the conversation, all of the input, all of the consensus. And they're like, but we can't get a 100% agreement on one direction. And so then nothing happens. And then this team is terrible at making decisions. And so that's one way I've seen it fail. Yeah, I'll echo that of like, those teams move so slowly. It's like the speed of molasses on a cold day. If you have ever seen that, but yeah, they just like, it happens very, very, very slowly. And, and people are laughing at that joke. Apparently if you did not grow up in Southwest Missouri, maybe you don't know what I'm talking about. So sorry if that's, irrelevant. I'm sorry. I just think that's a funny, it is funny. Some analysis is that we use that we, that we all use like molasses on a cold day. It's like, no one's seen that. No one's really seen that. Or like quicksand. That was the one I was thinking about the other day. Like everybody talks about quicksand. No one's seen quicksand. Like you're just seeing a movie. Everybody's seen Gilligan's Island with quicksand in it. Growing up, I thought I would encounter quicksand like a lot more. You know, I just thought like as an adult, Agreed. I got to look where I'm going. But yeah. I have never encountered it. Was it was a big problem in cartoons. It so was a big anyways. problem in cartoons. <laughs> All right. So as the facilitator, I feel like I should reel this back in. Okay. Uh, we're going to reel, we're going to reel this back in and talk about maybe the thing that it was that, that it was talked about. I'm going to be, I'm going to play the other side. I'm going to play the other side of this because I think looking through all seven of these, there's probably, it's all about balance, right? None of these are inherently horrible things, right? And none of these are, are maybe all, all, everything on the list is you should always do or never do, right? There's a balance uh, maybe of some of these things. Bethany, you brought it up. Yeah, like that's the number one thing we talk about is let's create a group of people that talk about the different objectives, launch teams that maybe they, you know, cross-functionally, cross-departmentally, hierarchy-wise, like frontline, middle, main, let's get everybody together, hear all their input. That is, that is, that is something that we say is the is some of the best ways to be able to handle some of the decisions that need to be made to be able to create buy-in and engagement and things like that. The, the immediate thing that I thought about was when we talk about leadership styles, it's never all or nothing, right? We talk about three basic leadership styles whenever we are going through this and we're, we're doing trainings with different organizations and leadership development. And the first leadership style that we talk about, you know, there, there's there's three different ones here, but uh, one of them, I'll, I'll give you an idea, democratic is, is one of those uh, leadership styles. Yes, there, maybe uh, if I have to make a decision, but it's not just my decision to make, there's other departments involved. I need to be able to gather input. I want to hear people's input to be able to create buy-in before we make a decision. And then we're going to collaborate on that and make the decision together. There's a time and a place 
place to wear my democratic style leadership hat, right? What about authoritarian? The authoritarian leadership style is I, I need little to no input from you. I already know where I'm going. This is the direction we're going. We talk about time and place. We paint that in kind of this realm of, oh, nobody should be authoritarian. But no, there, there is a time to be authoritarian. Like moments of crisis, the building's burning down. We're, we don't want to put our democratic hat on and have a committee to say, what do you think? Think we should get out of here or not? Like who wants to ride this out? Uh, like there's there's got there's got to be a moment where we have the authoritarian hat on, a moment where we have the, the democratic hat on in the last one is laissez-faire where you're just kind of hands off but you know what before i do that i better have the right team in place to be able to uh, be laissez-faire otherwise it's going to be extremely chaotic so i think there's a time and place maybe for some of these consensus and you know the the feedback for the different departments um as we're driving towards different decisions bethany Mm-hmm. Yeah. Another example that I was thinking of is um, like surveys. So people, you know, we're, we're proponent of surveys. I think they're great. They can be used well within certain organizations, but I think a lot of people are like, no, we want your consistent consensus. We want your input. So we're going to send out all these different surveys and then they like, don't do anything with them. So it's a lot of, I think, um, employees get really frustrated with that when they when organizations say like yes we want all of your input but they actually don't really want your input they just sort of did this survey to make you feel like it but then they did nothing with that and they didn't communicate what happened with that survey and why that's being used and all of that so that's yeah, it's not the, it's not the survey that's bad it's that some organizations <laughs> suck at surveying yes. right it's not the, it's not the tool that's bad it's the response to the re, it's the response to the responses where they failed i could think of one in particular where they're like you know what we're going to send it out they needed a new intranet it was a large company they needed a new intranet they pulled the audience they put it out there on the internet we're going to change platforms who wants this one vote a or b and a overwhelmingly won and the organization installed b and it was like, what are you doing? Never ask me anything again. I'm just going to go back to work. Never ask me anything again. So I think I think there's a time and place that we do want to gather the input. We do want to be able to hear their input, to be able to create engagement, to be able to create feedback. I think what this is saying and the reason why it might be suffocating is if we're doing that with every single decision and nobody's making a decision, we just have to run it by and committee it to death and things don't things get stalled and we don't move things forward. I think that's probably the area where they're talking about suffocating modern business. Would you all agree or disagree? Yes. I Thank you, Don. Thank you, Don. I see. The rest I, of us are just like nodding our heads. Like, yeah, yeah. that's uh-huh, we're on yeah. YouTube. So <laughs> not if you're not talking, only if you're talking. Are you on YouTube? The speaker, the speaker is there. I need you to not use your words. Use your words. Where do you guys want to go next? Uh, because I thought maybe we could do this annual performance uh, evaluation chore. Uh, and I think it's an interesting one. If you guys don't mind, let's just jump there. Why would I, I said that we did the word association game here for for a lot of uh, I do that a lot. And with annual performance evaluation, why do people typically have a negative connotation towards performance evaluations? I mean, it, it, they could be getting a raise. What's so negative about that? So I was speaking at an HR conference. This is a couple of years ago. And I had about 150 HR people in the room. And I said, how many of you do annual performance appraisals? And they were like, we are HR people. We do annual performance appraisals. You're not going to tell us that we don't need to do annual performance appraisals. We get that. And I said, oh, great. That's awesome. You guys are all responsible HR people. Give yourselves a round of applause. And they're like, yay, we do annual performance appraisals. And then I said, now, how many of you love annual performance appraisals? Plot twist. <laughs> Plot twist. Walked right into that. <laughs> they hate the process. And everybody's like, no, we don't like it. And it's like, why do you think you don't like it? 
Maybe it's because it's fundamentally broken. Maybe it's because it trains managers to have once a year feedback to their employees instead of giving continuous feedback to the employees. Maybe it's because you're trying to figure out how you're going to rate your employees or rank your employees when maybe our jobs are a little more complex than that. That's it's it creates so many potentially bad management practices. And even people who do it, I'm on a soapbox now because I've lived under the system before. Even people who get like a high score, like I've talked to people, I've worked inside of this, this type of thing, especially if you're given a score, even people that get a really great review and a big raise and all that stuff, they walk away going fundamentally, I didn't change what I was doing this year. I worked just as hard this year as I did last year. It's like this year, they just noticed it. Or this year, maybe it was just my turn to get that. So we just don't see a lot of benefit from an annual performance appraisal. You know, sometimes I think too, the managers, and I can hear them as they're driving down the road, listening to this or on their treadmill or whatever you're doing right now, as you're listening to this podcast or watching this on YouTube, you might be fighting with this, right? You're fighting with people centric going, yeah, it's not me. It's not a management thing. It's the system that the organization has, has developed that I'm now I'm, I'm cuffed to. And sometimes I think maybe business owners need to hear that too. You're setting your managers up for failure. You're setting managers up for failure by putting them into this box. Don alluded to maybe some of those those annual performance review practices where, you know what, you might be that person. You're sitting there with that old school annual performance evaluation, and you're looking at your team. And according to the numbers, because your bosses have told you this, two people have to fit in the failed category. I have to pick two people that they didn't just meet or or not quite meet. They they they're un, they need develop. They're the needs improvement. They failed. And according to make the numbers work, because there's only so much money for raises, I have to put, put two people there. I don't know if we're setting our people up for success. The thing that Don talked about, it forces them into having a once a year conversation about performance. That's even probably not true, right? And the number one thing I think I hear from employees is like, this is not an annual performance evaluation. You have no clue what I did in February. Like this is the last 60 days. This is the last 60 days evaluation. This is what I think about you. It's not a 12 month rolling conversation that we're having here uh, either. So lots of different opportunities that we could see are, are, are negative annual performance evaluation. Sure, I can see why they're saying that's a suffocating modern business, but there are some best practices that maybe what are some tips we can give to these other folks and maybe read this article from entrepreneur.com to be able to say, you know what? It's not necessarily that annual performance evaluations are, are horrible. Maybe Maybe it's the delivery or maybe there's some other things that you can do to be able to help help buffer that with an organization. What tips would we have to be able to try to get out of the chore of the annual perform, uh, annual performance evaluation? I would say don't wait until that annual performance evaluation. So we're not saying like buck the system and like don't do those reviews because that's what your organization has told you to do. So that's part of your job. So do it if that's what's in place. But don't wait until then to have those kinds of conversations with your employees. It's going to be a lot easier to have that performance review. It's not going to feel like as much of a chore if you're meeting with the, your people regularly throughout the year. Buck the system is what she said. For those of you that had to go back and read Buck. Oh, yeah. Buck, buck the system I'll like make a, sure that buck and horse yeah buck the system yeah i i get that what other tips thank you bethany what other tips do we have i think if you're in an employee and you're stuck in the system of like my boss only talks to me once a year i think you should just go to your boss and have a conversation about how can i get more feedback in more real time can we talk more regularly can i set up as a cadence for us to speak and do you have feedback for me or is this just like a no news is good news type situation. Can you help me figure out how to get better feedback, what that looks like and at what cadence we can do that more regularly? Because once a year, it's not quite enough. 
Yeah, especially, I mean, I, I think organizations are going to more and more understand that. They're going to start seeing that too, because those highly engaged employees for you don't just want feedback once a year, right? I would even say some of the, a lot of the disengaged people, maybe the reason why they're disengaged is because that's all they're getting. Like they desire to have more feedback, more opportunities to be able to grow, develop, manage different, not even people, uh, but uh, manage different projects. I think sometimes organizations also shy away from this because uh, every time I talk to them, they just want to raise, right? That's not true. Uh, there's many more things that you can do to be able to create a valued employee instead of just feeling like you have to give them money all the time too. So some organizations I've seen that will do in their annual evaluation, they'll say like, how likely do you think it is that that employee is going to leave? And that's their moment to check in with that. And I've seen it where they say, well, that employee will never leave. There's no way that employee is going to leave. And then before the next annual evaluation, there's so much time between those two things, they leave. And then it's like, they go back to the manager, like, how did you not know that they were going to leave? And it's like, well, I, it wasn't due for me to talk to them about that yet. Like that, that conversation has to come faster. Right. Which kind of, you know, goes back to what Bethany, if I, if I have something immediate that I need to let them know, I need to then handle it now. Don't wait for that spot. Feel free to talk to your people. We, we share a fun little poll by Harris poll that talks about when managers struggle uh, with communicating with their employees, when they're not comfortable communicating with their employees. And the number one answer, 69% of managers said they're just uncomfortable, just in general, communicating in general with my people gives me a very uncomfortable feeling. And if that's where we are, man, just think about how much more uncomfortable it is during annual performance evaluations or difficult conversations too. The last thing I'll say on this, the parting shot that I might say on this is if you're uncomfortable doing that, especially for annual performance evaluations, recognize the mood in the room. This is where a little emotional intelligence comes into that. Uh, if you are the one giving an annual performance evaluation, recognize the mood in the room with your person because your person knows there's probably already a little heightened sense of anxiety as well. It's tied to my job, tied to my performance. It's tied to my money. Like I need, you know, just understand the mood of what that might look like. How about, how about we jump over to the hierarchy of leadership? You can't. Just... That one is loaded because we at people centric do our proponents of and a clear org chart, a hierarchical org chart. But say, can you read what the article said about that and why that's outdated? And then we can kind of talk about what we think about it. Yeah, so it's a, the, the title is Hierarchical Leadership. And it's command and control leadership was once a highly effective way to produce material goods in the industrial age. However, it is important for individuals and teams to operate under collaborative conditions where knowledge-based production rather than physical product creation takes the center stage. This requires sharing responsibility among team members working towards defined goals and coordinating efforts with minimum disruption, confusion, and conflict. A modern-day workplace invests, nurtures, and grows people with team members' voices considered in day-to-day -day activities. So I love that idea. So yes, we think, you know, Diana, back to what you're talking about. First time I read that, I was like, wait, fight me. I was about ready to, I was like, this me is too. wrong. This is wrong. Cause there's all of these really creative org charts that are out there. We talk about this all the time, like these matrix charts and stuff. They try to create this organizational structure that performs on what they're talking about. But I don't, we don't like that. Like that, we don't see that work very often. I think everybody should have one boss who's clearly judging my performance. And I think every boss should have a reasonable number of employees, right? Maybe six or eight or something like that. Can be a little bit more than that if all the jobs are really similar, but that should be controlled. So your, your org chart should look like a tree. Having said that, I think your goal should be to push down the decisions as far down into the organization as you can so that others are helping make those decisions along the way. Yeah, what I was going to say is like hierarchy doesn't mean that there's no collaboration or that employees are not empowered 
there's a difference between those two. And I think, like you said, as you were reading that, Don is like, this is implying there's a command and control that those top level people are the only people who are making those decisions. And then they're just carrying down the information from, you know, the mountaintop and everybody has to do it. And we agree that's not the best way to, to lead. And I think that's a leadership problem, not a hierarchy, not a structure problem necessarily. Yeah, I, I would even argue that sometimes if your hierarchy is really well thought out and placed and everybody knows what it is, it almost makes collaboration easier because you know the lanes where people are, right? If we have a clear picture of what that is, you might even be able to collaborate at a more efficient and effective level because you know the lanes uh, and you're able to see those too. So other thoughts on this one? If there's one spot, I think people would be surprised to hear us say, if there's one of the most powerful tools that we have is structure in terms of driving culture. It's one of the most powerful tools that we have is structuring the organization, designing it to do exactly what Matt just talked about is to create clear lines of responsibility, clear roles so you can get the right people in the right places. And then that helps to also improve collaboration because it clarifies what the organization does. I also think this is just one of those trendy ones where, you know, I, I think we, we try to outsmart the system, so to speak, right? And on my my notes here that I took, I put flat is fad, right? We, how often do we hear that we have a flat organization? There's nobody over anybody else. It's a flat organization. No, but it's because of what the people want. We spend a lot of time talking to the people. And I'll tell you, that's not necessarily what the people want. The people want to know who's grading their success and grading their performance. The people want to know who they report to. The people want to know what winning looks like. Uh, and if we pride ourselves on being so flat that there's no boss or of, of anybody with one team, maybe one leader, but then beyond that, everybody else is a team, then, then it just creates confusion and frustration for the employees that are also there. Flat organization equals no organization. Thank you. Thank you, Don, throwing that out there as well. So, all right, let's go to the next one. What do you guys want to do? It's like a choose your own adventure uh do you do you want to do the the uh office presence or do you want to maybe jump into like the dress code let's do the Ooh. office presence since you started off with that one that's good yeah <laughs> okay office office presence and i don't know if there's any takeaways there don or something that we need to know as we're framing the conversation from the article itself but this is something that we are getting from a lot of different organizations and it's not even industry necessarily industry specific i'll say you know there were people that did not have the opportunity to be able to work from home uh through the pandemic and we worked with many of them hospitals like if i'm a nurse i can't not nurse you know i can't i can't nurse from home uh, right now i i need to be able to be there city administrations they were still going to work uh those those types of things and so that uh, there but but for a lot of people a lot of people were able to work from home and maybe being able to feel like nope we got to get back to where we were before everybody needs to be back in we're fighting this presence of people in the office battle how could that be one why is it on this list of suffocating uh business and two maybe how do we overcome that yeah i think, yeah, it's I think not... oh sorry go ahead stephanie oh sorry don we unmuted at the same time. Yeah, I was gonna say, I think from the article, it was like kind of this idea that leaders are like, if I'm not seeing you do the work is number one, like, is it even happening? And is it being done well? Um, and I think, you know, had many friends, like, especially during the, the really deep days of the pandemic, uh, they were worried about their team of like, how am I supposed to know if they're actually working or not? And what if they're doing this? And what if they're doing that during the workday? And I think for a lot of them, it was a wake up call that they didn't actually have a good way to measure their team's performance or an individual person's performance. They didn't have clear role descriptions or responsibility descriptions to actually know if someone was doing their job outside of just like physically seeing them do their job. 
Yep, that's a great point. I think that it's we get lost in that. Is if as long as you're around and you're at work and I get nine to five from you, I'm getting productivity. The the flip side of that is let's measure the productivity. Let's figure out what's productive. We work with a company that talked about right before the pandemic, he was talking about the if I have to send my employees home, I'm just going to shut it down because I know they're not going to work. Like I know they're not going to get stuff done. And then boy, two months later, they were like, holy cow, they're getting a lot of stuff done. Like, I don't know how they're doing it or when they're doing it or all that stuff, but we are getting a lot of work done. It's really good. That's the modern way of knowing how your employees are working, not just whether they're present or not. Yeah. Now, are there advantages to people spending time? I don't think this is talking about whether people should be in the office or not. I don't think that's the point here because we can talk a little bit about that. Like, should people be in the office together? Yes, there's some cultural benefits to people seeing each other in the office. Are there efficiencies that can be gained by working remotely? Yes. You just have to manage all of those things and balance all those things together. But the key, I think, for this point is to think about what productivity really means. And it doesn't mean just being present. Yeah, I can think of a hospital specifically. I won't say who they are or where they are, but a hospital specifically that we were working with. And there was somebody in the lab. And I went into the lab to be able to check out the lab itself. I was kind of getting a tour. And there was a spot on the counter that was just worn. It was a worn out spot on the counter. And I was like, wow, what used to go there? Like, what's what's there? Why is that spot so worn? And it just happened to be the lab was closed off except for a little window that was out to the hallway there. And they said the previous CEO... The previous CEO would walk the halls and he was very famous for if he saw you not being productive, they would just send you home, just send you home. You're clearly not working. And so that spot in the lab was when they would see him coming, they would grab a towel and just start wiping the counter down and like just giving a high five through the window, like winking. Yep. Yes, sir. Absolutely. I'm busy right here. And that was that spot that was in the counter. So I guess I guess if that's the uh, type of environment that you're trying to create, recognize that that's also the type of environment, uh, type of work maybe that you're uh, producing by by creating an environment where that is the expectation. Stephanie. Yeah, it's like this fake forced productivity of like, I think we used to see a lot of companies who had really, really strict rules around like internet usage and like would blocks all social media sites for their employees. And like, you can't do this or that at work. And it's like, Okay, but was that really the problem? Like if you're having a productivity problem, was it really that everyone is just spending all this time on social media or was it maybe, yeah, again, we just haven't created an effective way for them to do their job well. Or, I mean, I honestly think even for myself, if I'm finding myself doing things that are not work, I'm like, I think I just need more challenge. And then I need to go to my manager, my boss and say, Hey, actually got all that done really fast. And I want more, or could you give me another task? I want some more challenging stuff to do. So yeah, always that force, like productivity stuff. I just feel like that almost always backfires because then you get people who are just sitting there and like typing into fake spreadsheets when you walk by. So that way it looks like they're doing something. And I never do that, Don. Don't ever yeah. look at my computer when we work. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We have to get to the fake spreadsheet because there wasn't near enough keystrokes for solitaire. It's you can't be working with that, but fake spreadsheets, you can knock those out like crazy and look very intrigued at the same time. Let's do Can we do this? Cause Don, I know you're kind of on a time crunch. Can we go to number seven? I, Cause I just want to hear your thoughts on this one as well. The over-optimizing to withstand the change, the risk one there. Let's hear your thoughts maybe on this one. Can you frame this one uh, just a little bit? And then uh, once you have to hop off, we'll just uh, talk about you for the rest of the time. Okay, yeah, go perfect. seven. Perfect. Yeah. yeah, number seven is this idea, you know, op it says optimizing to withstand change and risk. And I, what they're talking about in that, we kind of stumbled on that title a little bit. I think they could have titled that better, but 
the idea behind it is this idea is that a lot of organizations are designed to really manage risk and changes really carefully. So if we're going to change something, like we really have to think about that. I think about that from manufacturing. There's some good reasons for that because you can change something casually and suddenly the process fails and it can hurt somebody, right? So there's ways to mitigate risk and change and everything. But whenever you put too many th controls in place to try to prevent mistakes, you also create hierarchy or create bureaucracy and bureaucracy slows down organizations. The problem is today, especially the the pace of change is very, very quick. It's a lot faster than it used to be. So the outdated idea is to say, no, we really, really have to think through everything just to the nth degree to be careful about change. And the new idea is to be a little bit more nimble, is to be allow for more mistakes, allow people to adjust for those mistakes, show live scorecards about where you are at so that you understand what success really looks like and let people make adjustments along the way. There's exceptions to that. I think those of you, my engineering friends who are listening to this and saying, oh, great, we can just start tweaking stuff. And if it blows up, then we learn something. Don't do that. But there's probably a lot of space where we can be a little bit more quicker and nimble. And the question is, can we allow people to go ahead and make those decisions? What if they did make a mistake? And would, can, can we just maybe make the organization faster if we allow that to happen? And when I read this, I also thought about those companies that have policy manuals that are like 900 pages and you flip to a policy and it's like, in case of X, do Y. And you're like, wow, they tried to think of every single tiny solution to a possible problem. And then no one knows what any of the policies are because it's too, you can't consume that much information. And they didn't plan for every single thing because something will happen and they'll be like, that wasn't in the policy manual, man. We didn't think of that because you can't possibly think of all the things that could happen and trying to manage a business through that policy or trying to plan for every single thing through policy just seems completely bonkers and it's yeah unwieldy at best. Well, and what you just said made me think that like those kinds of environments have to like lack much innovation because people are relying so much on what the policy is or what the process yeah. is that they like don't know how to free freely think or like problem solve as a team. And so when they do run into an issue that's like not in our, our policy handbook, then like, they're like, I don't know what to do because we've never had to sit down and actually like think through how to solve this problem. So yeah. Yeah. I'm all for a good policy, but I think good policy are designed to help the masses understand how to work better, not help all the tiny, not solve every single little thing that could possibly go wrong. Yeah. And I, and I don't want to be fearful of change either. In fact, I, I would, I, I want to embrace change. I want to proactively look for things that we could potentially do to improve on a regular basis. And so change and risk is not necessarily bad. Maybe it's just the approach. Uh, maybe it's the approach. So let's talk about the hiring obsession with culture fit, and then we will uh, finish up with a formal dress code. So the hiring obsession with culture fit, I know we talked internally about this just a little bit as well. Stephanie, did you have thoughts right off the bat here? Well, this was the one like that I initially reacted to and was like, fight me on this. Okay. <laughs> like You're not going to hire for culture fit. And then you read it and it really makes sense. So 
Yeah. So what does it mean uh, if, if I'm hiring based on culture fit, how can, why is, why is that part of suffocating modern business? Because again, culture fit, we, we talk about as being a positive, but notice the word obsession means we've taken that a little bit too far. So where does that go from maybe positive and healthy to an obsession? And what, what, you know, what does that, what does that look like? Yeah. I think the, the phrase that came to mind for me was um, create like an echo chamber that we want to be sure in our organizations, we're not creating where all of a sudden, number one, we have a whole team of yes people that we all just agree with each other on everything because we all see the world exactly the same way. We all have the same like thinking processes and skills. Maybe we all have the same communication styles. We all like the same thing. And while the idea of like everyone saying yes all the time feels like it feels good because in the room, everybody's like, cool, great. You're missing something in your organization when you don't have people who see the world a little differently or they understand the world differently. They have different knowledge or perspectives, opinions that they can bring to the table that can really help your organization be more diverse and robust and dynamic and kind of missing out on, on those gifts if we only hire people who are kind of exactly like us. You know, you use the term echo chamber and I understand the term echo chamber. Another, another popular buzzword there might be groupthink. Uh, if I'm continuing to hire people who just think like me, then we fall into this idea of groupthink. Groupthink is everybody's going along doing the same things because this is what we've always done. This is where we're going. There's nobody that's kind of challenging the status quo. And that might be taking this to um, uh, maybe to a, to a degree where the article wasn't necessarily trying to go. But I think when we when we have an obsession with hiring with a culture fit, that also means I, I bet I bet it's not an intentional obsession. I bet some of this is involuntary. Like we tend to hire people that look like us uh, because it's comfortable, right? I, it, we, we, we get along well. We have a good back and forth. I can engage you well. Like I, I t- we like the same things. We, you know, you don't push back. And I think that's comfortable. I don't, I don't know that we necessarily look around and we're like, hmm, I'm purposely trying to do that. But, and I think it might creep up on you too. And that might be the detriment, detriment uh, of doing that too. Bethany, were you gonna add? Yeah, I was gonna add that. I think the question is like, how are they defining it? At least in this uh, article, how are they defining culture fit? Because I think that that might also be different. You know, I think it's different than maybe how we would view culture fit um, because you should hire, you should hire somebody who's going to be a good culture fit for your organization. Meaning to me, like that they know what like your organization's mission, vision, and values are and that they, that's drives how that they work. And then, but I think the way that maybe it's being defined in this article, the way that they're viewing it is more of like what Stephanie was talking about of like, no, we have like the same personality. Like we click, like we could be friends outside of this work, you know, outside of our workplace. Um, And I think that those are two different things. Yeah, I agree with that. I think you nailed that on the head. It's what we have to be wary of is like, well, I interviewed this person and like, it was a great interview. We had fun. We talked, we have similar hobbies and habits and all those things of sometimes recognizing like we do have a bias and it just, we're humans. We have a bias of like, we want to work with people that we kind of hit it off with initially, but really kind of making sure like, okay, have we really defined what the right fit for our organization? Like make sure this person does line up with our actual culture and our mission, vision values, but then also like in these roles that we're bringing onto our team, like, could it benefit us to have somebody who maybe has a really different approach to this? And we've talked about this a little bit, I think in an earlier podcast um, that I've been on, at least since I've been here of like, when you're hiring of how do you really figure that out? I think it's the introvert extrovert podcast, if I'm right, if you want some more, more conversation on that. 
Yeah. And I'll, and I'll say too, that like, maybe like with this point specifically, they're talking about an obsession with culture fit. And I think that there is a point there. There's a line that's like, if you are hiring primarily for culture fit and at the expense of people who have the skills necessary to get the job done, then that's a problem too. And you're going to have a lot of turnover in that position. (laughs) So Awesome. Thank you. Now I can kind of relate to this too, because uh, on our team, you either have to drive a Subaru or a Hyundai or a Honda, and I drive a Ford F-150. So I'll let you take that for what it's worth. There is only two people that drive the Subarus. That's it. No, but how many of you multiply bought Subarus? Like you traded it in and you bought another one. Well, I I have owned several Subarus. Several Subarus. Uh, one of these things ain't like the other and it's probably me. Uh, so you're welcome. You're welcome. I'm disrupting the thing that you were trying to create. You're also the only one with a beard. So, uh, that's, that's true. Don, Don gives it a go every now and again. He He tries. He tries. I'm trying. Just nothing's happening. Yeah. Okay. All right. So let's go to the, let's go to the uh, last one here. Formal, uh, dress code. Are we pro this against this? In fact, honestly, I didn't know that this was such a thing anymore. I think I think this has kind of changed just a little bit too through COVID because I think I think some business owners got to the point of like, I just want you back. I don't care. Just put jeans on. Just p- please come back. <laughs> I don't care. You don't have to wear slacks or dress or whatever anymore. Please just come back. Wear jeans. Wear I don't jeans. know. My husband wears a suit and tie to work with a tie clip every single day. Tie clip now. Yeah. See, but that's a choice, right? He he doesn't have to wear a tie clip, right? I mean, well, not I like the tie it. clip, but the suit and tie. I think is not a choice. I think that is a now, an expectation. And, and this is this is a good example, right? Because your husband's in healthcare, and we work with lots of different hospitals. And it's not necessarily the 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 folks who are the directors, the department heads, uh, the executives. There, there is kind of a different standard, right? And maybe it's maybe that is also maybe a more unspoken standard. You just know that's part of the gig. But for the frontline people, the scrubs people, how many times have we talked to um, hospitals that are like, no, 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 this department has to wear this color of scrubs. This department has to wear this color of scrubs because that's the way it is. Um, and I remember them explaining that to me one time. And I'm like, why do they have to wear a certain color? And they're like, well, that way, you know what department they're in. And I'm like, from the outside, I still have no idea what you're, I'm going to have to look at your name badge before I know what department you're in. And we had to have the talk. I remember being in the room. We had to have the talk where it was like, listen, I don't work at the hospital. I work with the hospital, but if I'm dying, Give me the one with the funky scrubs and the tattoos if they're the ones that know how to save my life, right? <laughs> I, I don't know why we're so caught up right. on the perception of that dress code. Yeah, it's interesting. I think where the I think where it gets like annoy it gets annoying to me is yeah, whenever organizations are like, oh, like you can't wear open, you know, like like you have to wear closed toed shoes when it's like you're in an office setting, you're not in like a manufacturing floor. So like, why, <laughs> you know, like, does it really matter if my yeah. toes are showing or not, if I have them well kept? <laughs> like, I don't well, know. And I think you bring up a good point too. Like the main, manuf- some jobs, like it's, it's not even because we want to, it's because yeah. they're required to, right. Yeah. That's a whole nother, that's a whole nother beast. We do work with, with uh, major manufacturing and 
I don't know. You don't want to be out there in flip-flops. That's for sure. Give me something a little more robust uh, to cover my feet. I think this is, I think maybe this is even talking about the ones where, okay, it is a choice. You have just created some sort of a standard that says they need to do this because of X, Y, or Z perception. Am I wrong? Do you think this is maybe where this is uh, going here and how that might be suffocating modern business? Yeah. I recently talked to a company and the manager called me. I was like, I have a huge problem. And I was like, oh, okay. What is the problem? You never have huge problems. It was very alarmist. And the manager was like, I have this admin that wears black jeans every day. And I was like, oh, and are they like holy jeans or are they like shorts? Are they, is this inappropriate? I was like, I'm going to need you to explain more. And they're like, no, no. Our dress code says no blue jeans. So now they wear black jeans. And I was like, Yahtzee. oh, okay. Well, it, why do you have no jeans? Like what, what's the, what's wrong with jeans? What's the problem there? And they were like, well, we just are setting a certain standard. And I was like, a standard from 1950? Like, what's the standard? I don't quite understand the problem. Just because someone's wearing jeans, are they less effective at their job? And so I kind of posed it as like, where's the real, what are we trying to get at? What are we trying to do here? If it really is an industry where maybe you have to be an expert at something and like it, it's a, it's a, I don't know, a perception thing. Okay. Maybe I can get behind that, but this was not that case. And so I just sort of posted it as like, is the black jeans hindering performance at all in any way? No. Okay. So maybe. This is not a huge problem because you're right. Like, let's find what your real rub is there. So we talked through it. And at the end of that conversation, they ended up saying like, okay, we should just have jeans in our dress code because it's crazy that we don't. But I think people get so tied to this concept of your look equates your professionalism or your look equates your expertise or your look equates your output. And I just, I think we need to start bucking against that. I'm going to use the word buck the system. And that's ridiculous. (laughs) Buck the system. No, I, I think you said that really beautifully, Diana. Like, I think in the article, it talks about like, it's no longer assumed in business that you win business or you create value based on how you look. And it's kind of crazy that even in 2022, sometimes businesses are still stuck back in like, you know, the fifties, sixties, where it was like, if you showed up looking sharp, then you were a good business person and you were going to close a deal. And like, it's just not the world that we live in anymore. And, you know, I'm not anti-professional dress at all of like, you know, I came from people centric from the finance world where like people in finance still very much do the suit and tie, but they do that. And and when they talk about in the dress code, like we do this out of respect for our clients. And so for them, it's like, we're going to put our best forward and assume that, but then they also have kind of like a dress for your day policy that if most of your clients are, let's say farmers, for example, don't show up to the farm in a suit and tie, like make, make your your clients feel comfortable and dress in a way that, that gives them respect and shows that you're taking this, this meeting very, very seriously. And you want this to be a good relationship. Yeah. I think that's where I have a hard time saying like, nobody should have any kind of thought on 
what you should wear to work because I think there's obviously lines where it's like that's clearly inappropriate to wear <laughs> somewhere of like I don't know if you should wear that at a meeting or like you're in your pajamas like I don't know like so I do I do understand that like why people are struggling with this of like how far do you go with it or how do you communicate standards or expectations um, without getting too like too in the nitty-gritty with it um, so it can be a hard one I understand but I think it's overdone at some in some places yeah I'm kind of glad Bethany you started to go down that line too because there is you know it, it might not mean that you're not professional but you're definitely having to overcome some sort of a perception that you aren't and I would just say there's an emotional intelligence part to that too I go and I speak at a lot of different conferences and I can't tell you one yet that I've walked up there in shorts and sandals to be able to engage the group, right? Because I know better. Uh, and it might not mean, would my content change? No. Would the words change? No. But is there some sort of a perception that I might have to overcome to be able to then engage the people? Maybe. And so you're just kind of aware of that, right? There's a, uh, but I, but I think that we don't necessarily have to micromanage that aspect either. I think people may you know the situation. They might make uh, smart decisions too. Maybe give them a little bit more autonomy with with what the potential dress code could be too. So I think I, I can definitely see both sides to that. Um, so hopefully you took something from that. I know that was a little bit longer than what we would normally would go, but we had a lot to cover, a lot to touch on there from entrepreneur.com that, that those seven outdated habits suffocating modern business there. I appreciate the, the feedback and the thought. I always enjoy the conversation and uh, the nonverbals as well as, as well as the verbals. So check us out on YouTube for the podcast or any other videos. There's going to be more and more content coming up there. Uh, share the podcast podcast and uh, make sure you listen here to the outro so you can find out how to get a hold of us if you'd like to um, I was almost said if you'd like to entertain us not not that if you'd like to engage us though feel free to feel free to reach out to us there thanks for joining us love you bye thank you for listening to the people-centered podcast we are so grateful for you joining us every week if you like this content please like and subscribe also, feel free to share on your social media with everyone that you know. It really does help us. If you would like to contact us, I have put our information in the show notes. Please reach out anytime. We love hearing from you. We will be back next week with a new topic. Until then, be well and lead well.